podcast. podcast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to Hey Vern. It's a podcast. Uh, a new show from uh, me, Peter Moran, and me, Mar- Marcus yes. Jones, the other yes. guy. Uh, Marcus, you might know from uh, Crush Celluloid, from Jean Pod Van Dam. Uh, uh, Pete, you may know from the We Love to Watch podcast. Yes, and you know, uh, local man about town, <laughs> local local roustabout that's known <laughs> to you know uh, dandy about the salons, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, occasionally record a podcast about uh, Jim Varney's fam- Jim Varney is John Cherry's famous character. Uh, Ernest P. Worrell. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you, yeah, you I, I feel like b- before we get started, I do have to give one quick shout out uh, because there is already another Ernest podcast that I think is done. I think it finished its run earlier this year. Um, it was called Ernest Goes to Podcast, which is a fantastic name. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like we just had to give a shout out that that show exists. Uh, I didn't listen to any of it except for the opening to make sure we didn't do a similar theme song when we were discussing what the theme song might be. Um, but yeah, no, just ha- had to get that out there. We know we're not the first, yeah, I'd like but to... there's enough earnest love for everyone. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to not subconsciously rip off the other show. I imagine once we get headfirst into this show, uh, that we'll be a bit more comfortable, um, you know, seeing what the competition looks like, but let's do our own thing yeah. and then recalibrate from there. Well, cause right now we honestly have no idea what the show is going to be. Yeah. What, what, what do we know? We do know it's going to be a limited series. We're not going to be doing this forever. Uh, no, the lucky you, listener. <laughs> there, there will only be 13 of these. Yes. right. And now we we're have planning planned this out very, very nice. Right now we're planning on doing 13, and we're going to be covering uh, all of the main Ernest movies, all of the Ernest movies, plus a couple of of extras, which I'm not familiar with at all. A little oddities and rarities. Yes. And every episode, we're going to be, uh, or at least at the beginning, we're going to be matching every single episode as well with an episode of the uh, Hey Vern, It's a X TV show. Is it just called Hey Vern, It's Ernest? Yeah, it's just called Hey Vern, It's Ernest, and each episode is Hey Vern, It's Blank. And today we'll be covering uh, Ernest Goes to Camp and the episode Hey Vern, It's Food. But we're going to be saving... Epi- that episode-, episode 9 of the, of the show. It was a one-season show that ran in 1988. Yes, and uh, Marcus is the, uh, so what else do we know? Marcus is the uh, the diehard Ernest fan, I want to say. Is that is that a correct? I, I was talking to someone the other day about doing this podcast, and we were just talking about the Ernest movies, and he mentioned, like, oh, man, like, they were pretty good, but man, once I get the, like, Slam Dunk Ernest, it's just a complete joke. And I was like, I think I've seen Slam Dunk Ernest more times than I've seen Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> Which, you know, that means you think they're jokes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you if you want to see a joke, you, you watch those Indiana Jones pictures. Come on. <laughs> you give me Ernest, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and masca- uh, Magic Basketball Shoes, I'm in. Yeah, why don't you, why don't you save that Indiana Jones Spielberg crap for the proles? <laughs> <laughs> I watch real art. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a very silly podcast, because Ernest is a very silly character, and... That sort of sweet silliness is like part of the appeal for me. From what I do know, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a uh, an earnest newbie. Um, I haven't seen any of the movies as an adult, and I just really like Jim Marty and other stuff, and just like in little bits and bobs I've seen around. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. I love his voice in the um, in like the Toy Story movies, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so, tell, tell me, as a child, though, like, did you watch a lot of these? Were you an Ernest fan as a child, or was it just kind of you more knew of the character because of his childhood icon? No, but kind I kind of status. No, okay, so I'm the youngest of four children, and so I missed out on a lot of these sort of um, staples of early '90s childhood movies. I didn't see Airbud until I covered I covered it for uh, my podcast. We love to watch uh, with uh, my uh, my co-host Aaron Armstrong. Um, we don't talk about him here. This, this is me and you now. Yeah, this is this is the Marcus and Pete zone, and like you know, I, I just want it to be a sacred space for me and Marcus. Okay. Um, I was kind of thinking about messaging and asking him to get off of Skype until we're done with this. He's a distraction. <laughs> don't distract me. No, he's just he's just hovering. You know, <laughs> for some reason Aaron is on Skype right now. He's just hovering, making sure you know. But yeah, so I didn't see a lot of these like the the. I saw Pixar movies as, as a kid, but, like, I was the youngest of four, so, like, I was aspiring to age up very fast. So, I was more shooting for, like, those PG-13 uh, age More movies. the stuff they were watching at the time. Yes. Like, you were trying to be cool and watch the stuff they were watching. Even if it terrified me, I wanted to watch what my older siblings were watching, particularly mm-hmm. my brother who was seven years older than me. So, I skipped a lot of these, these, uh, these kids' movies from the era um because they... uh, what year were you born again 1991 okay i guess uh maybe maybe that's the thing because the Ernest films like this movie Ernest goes to camp came out in 1987 that's the year i was born so maybe it, it was just i guess a certain little piece of time like 87 to maybe 96 90 i think 98 was when the last movie was done but like maybe 87 to 96 was like the only real window where Ernest was a big thing <laughs> Well, are you, are you, have you, were you born a Southerner? Yeah, I was born in Mobile, Alabama. Um, cause I was gonna say, I wasn't sure if you moved to the South later or not, but maybe cause Jim Varney is like, a, you know, sort of a, a Southern character and like has a... Well, even know, John Cherry, the director, like the whole character was formed and made in Tennessee. Yeah, but, like maybe that's part of the equation as well. Maybe it's maybe like people in the South are more attached to Ernest in, in his particular brand of silliness, or that's very possible. Or maybe it's also you know it might also be um, I, yeah, I might have been too young. That's kind of a boring answer, but it might just be. <laughs> oh man, it's <laughs> it not even be... like it's that many. It's like four year difference. But I yeah. understand. I was also an only child, so I I was I guess very much into child entertainment. Uh, as a young youngling <laughs> because you know that's kind of what i had to en- entertain myself i didn't i lived in apartment complexes and stuff so i didn't have a whole lot of like friends my age or friends really so i kind of only had what entertainment i was allowed to watch at the time yeah and i didn't have friends but i did have uh, older siblings who were um bound by a mortgage to hang out with me uh, <laughs> so i had i wanted to watch what they wanted to watch so my part of deal and, and, and yeah it might be it might be like a like a southern thing, and not just because um, of his particular voice, like sort of reaching out to um, you know southern families, but also because one thing I do know about Ernest is that the character was formed uh, in more proliferated uh, you know families through the local ads that Jim Varney and his team, John Cherry, uh, Sam Cokes, Coke, Coke Sam. Sam's, Coke Sam's, Coke great Sam's. Name. That is a great Sam. That is a great Sam. That is a great name. Um, and a great Sam's. One of the best Sam's <laughs> I can think of. Uh, maybe that might be part of the equation. Like, if your parents saw Ernest ads and thought they were funny, maybe like when the movies came around, they were like, hey, he's got a movie now. 
Well, it's very possible because even, uh, I mean, I guess I, I think I even just had not the actual VHS tape of Ernest Goes to Camp. I just had one that like it was taped off of HBO or something like that that my parents taped for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wore that out. But also like uh, I used to be taken to Blockbuster like every weekend as a child. And I would just rent like five movies and that's what I'd do for the weekend because my dad was young. He wanted to go out and try to meet a lady and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, yeah, I'd watch a lot of the same things over and over again and two of my biggest rentals were the Wee Herman show, uh, the HBO special he did in like the mid eighties. That was a lot kind of more dirtier and more adult before he did the children's <laughs> show. But because of the children's show, my parents didn't know that. So I got to watch a little bit of weird adult humor and like a song medley of Sly and the Family Stone <laughs> when I was like a <laughs> tiny child. Um, but also the other one was called the Ernest uh, P. Worrell Film Festival or just the Ernest Film Festival which had a great cover and it was like Ernest holding a bunch of film and looking through it and stuff but really all it was was a collection maybe like 45 minutes or something of just his TV spots that I would watch religiously over and over again. Did you see Ernest as sort of uh, you know like a cool uncle to you that like was hanging out with you during the day? Yeah, kind of. And I don't know, I guess maybe just growing up with TV as well, I guess I was used to commercials and stuff like that. So seeing commercials where there is a character I see over and over again that I begin to know as a character, like even though he is trying to sell me something, I guess maybe I was able to look past that or maybe not notice it as much and enjoy the commercials for like the comedy and stuff in it. Because, you know, he'll be slinging, you know, Mellow Yellow or like some dairy product at me or whatever. But there's just like genuinely funny comedy bits in there. Yeah, and that's something that as the the show, this show goes on, I would like to get more exposed to, because that's something that people swore by. That's something that was uh, weirdly like an early viral video, is like literally viral video, because, uh, I mean, not literally in the viral sense, literally in the video sense, because people would, uh, I I hope no one was distributing viruses through (laughs) earnest tapes, but people would uh, record these, apparently, and like give them to each other because they thought Ernest was such a funny character. Well, not only that, but eventually, like, especially once they started being able to have, like, an Ernest fan club and stuff like that, they would literally make VHS tapes that were just, like, 30 minutes of, like, his commercials that you could buy (laughs) and stuff like that, and they sold. Like, that's something that helped keep their ad agency afloat, like, during those years before they kind of got into the more film production side of things. Can you imagine, like, the idea of, like, somebody liking commercials so much that's not in the industry, mind you. That's not mm-hmm. like watching them as like you know a case study. Uh, somebody buying collections of video of advertisements for super local chains very often and local products uh, just just to watch watch them like that's that's an amazing thought that like people like your character so much that it transcends the fact that like you're being a marketing shill. Well, that's the thing, and minus very specific ads that are, like, for bigger things like Coke or Mellow Yellow or something, a lot of these are for products or for, like, stations or all kinds of things that I literally have never seen in my life because they're so location-specific. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. So, as somebody who's exposed to the roots of Ernest, and well, as well as the um, how he was sort of manipulated in, t- in different ways... Uh, like a TV show, movies. Uh, do you think that there was a significant difference in the character? Do you think they kept him pretty consistent, but just the movie, the quality of the product sometimes would shift? Well, I, I mean, I 
think they kept it pretty consistent, but you know, once you get through so many movies, uh, you know, you get to Ernest Goes to Africa and stuff, like you're just kind of, where can we put him now that he hasn't been already? <laughs> but I feel like even that kind of childlike innocence, the, the uh, kind of warm-hearted kind of person, that was even there in the ads, because the whole concept, which was kind of just thought up on a whim by, by John Cherry, like, during a meeting, uh, was just like, okay, so, you know, there, there's this guy, Ernest, and he, he's talking to this guy, Vern, and Vern is, like, the, the camera or something, uh, and he's just like, he's the guy that always has a better deal, like, you think you, you have something good, he has a better deal, he think he knows everything, but he also is always trying to impress you to be friends with you, he's like your next-door neighbor. And I think that, like, sweetness and also kind of maybe even knowing people like that, like, kind of annoying neighbors that you don't really want to be friends with but kind of, like, try to shove themselves into every situation was mm -hmm. just kind of relatable in a very base way. Yeah, it, it for sure is. But it's, like, it, I feel like the movie tries to transition Ernest out of a salesman role where he's just purely speaking to the camera and just being sort of charming but sort of annoying in equal parts you know, sort of a heel, but also, like, a heel that you can't quite hate. Uh, one earnest story I know is that, that there's a Christmas, there was a Christmas special where he's uh, haranguing his uh, his neighbor Vern on, like, Christmas oh. Eve. And yeah, the one thing they learned is that the only thing you can't do with Ernest, like, you can set him on fire, you can hit him in the face, the only thing you can't do is hurt his feelings. Yes, because uh, that is what I got, and, and, you know, spoiler, but, like, I really liked Ernest Goes to Camp. One of the things that I loved most about it is that Ernest is sort of a Kermit the Frog character. Like, he's just, like, he might, I guess Kermit never really makes mistakes in the way Ernest does, but they're just this, like, wholesome, sweet sort of, like, uh, half-competent, half-childlike kind of mm -hmm. character. But also, and I think this is something that changed with the movies, is that he went from just kind of being your bumbling, annoying neighbor to more, like, kid hero. That's what they kind of, the where they thrust him to, and I think that's kind of why the movies went in the direction they did, with a certain few exceptions. Like, he became, like, oh, no, like, yeah, he's kind of a klutz and an idiot, but to a kid, he's a hero. Yeah, yeah. So, and the and, and the fun thing about that is that like Ernest gets to do a shit ton in this movie. Like he gets to be goofy, he gets to be serious, he gets to sing, he gets his own Kermit like med like little medley song. Like uh, like I'm just so sad. I gotta sing my thoughts about it. He gets to talk to the camera like in the commercials. Um, he gets to sort of be in love. We'll get to that. And yeah, he's this like unkillable cartoon character in a uh, almost like part camp movie part exploitation movie with an evil uh <laughs> mining company yeah like, like and, and by the way i'm sorry i totally interrupted you before and i wanted you to get back to the story you were telling about the the christmas commercial with Ernest. oh i apologize so yeah. uh yeah like like we've said this is the first episode so you know uh we're gonna get off the rails a little bit because we're pretty excited but the the christmas episode thing is Ernest goes to Vern's house on Christmas Eve and uh you know he's like uh he says something that Vern isn't he, that Vern isn't like Vern slams the door in his face and that's how the ad ended and people were so upset by that that they demanded that uh they shoot oh, another was, one 
there was backlash. That's what it was because it was basically like Vern was having a party at his house and Ernest, I think he was hucking like a certain dairy brand of products or something like eggnog and stuff. So Ernest is like out in the cold holding a tray of eggnog and Vern kind of takes it from him and Ernest just like sadly wants to come to the party but Vern shuts the door in his face and that apparently like pissed people off. Because he's such a sweet guy. And like you said, the one thing you can't do to Ernest is hurt his feelings because he's this well-meaning, like, uh, he, Ernest is Ernest. Ernest mm-hmm. is sweet. Ernest is, you know, E-R-N-E-S-T is E-A-R-N-E-S-T. Like, he's this, like, he never has malice in his heart. He never really wants to cheat anybody. Like, he, mm-hmm. he, he might, like, he might, like, be like, hey, guess what? I got, I got a good deal for you. But he's, like, just trying to impress you. Yeah, he just wants to be your friend, and he just wants you to think he's cool. Yeah, and we'll get into the weird manipulations that they do of this particular character as we go, because, like, they they do interesting things with the character. He's not just, like, he's not a Mickey character, where Mickey just, you know, shows up. Like, what is Mickey as a character? He just shows up, and he says nice things, and nothing bad ever happens to him, and if it does... He's just not right because he's Mickey. He's not like that. Like, there's a weirdness to Ernest, and the fact there's that, like, a, there's a pathos to Ernest. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and and that's part of the reason that I think that this series is going to um, keep me excited the whole time because, like, I just like hanging out with this strange, sweet man. Well, and that's the thing. Even in this first movie, the the well, and, and it's not the first Ernest movie. It's the first movie with Ernest in the title. Um, but there were a couple of things before this that we will eventually cover. Um, but even in this first movie, I, it, it is kind of weird to take a character like this and be like, let's put him in a movie with a bunch of kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, like that's kind of a weird transition. But again, at the same time. It does have a bit of everything. There's even, like, needless violence and explosions and stuff. Like, like you said, Ernest kind of has a love interest, but even more a platonic friendship kind of thing. Uh, and even gets to, like, punch a guy and get his ass kicked and stuff. Like, Ernest becomes a fully rounded character in this film, I think. Yeah, he gets a... Ernest gets a character arc of going, like... It's almost a Chucky Fenster character arc, where he gets to, like... Um, learn bravery and competence over the course of the the narrative like uh whereas he's kind of spooked and kind of doesn't know how to do anything at the beginning but by the end like he gets to become the hero um and, and i will say like right off the bat there is a lot of kind of objectionable or questionable stuff in this movie right off the bat there is uh but it's i think it's the character of Ernest that even like as adults now in the year 2017 we can kind of look past that for the most part just because it, even if it might not fly as well or it might just be a product of its time somewhat its heart feels like it's in the right place that's the weird thing about these Ernest movies it is from what I know about them, uh, there's some uh, racial uh, insensitivities going on, mm-hmm. which, you know, some of that is just time. Like, sometimes you being, I say this on We Love to Watch, sometimes you being, like, kind of offended by something is a good thing, because that's saying that... Things are getting pro- better. <laughs> yes, we've progressed enough that we're like, oh, this is an unacceptable thing, whereas, like, nobody was talking about the fact that, like, this movie is kind of insensitive to Native Americans, I can guarantee you, I haven't seen Ernest Goes to Africa, I can guarantee you Ernest Goes to Africa is way more racist than this movie. This movie's more like white man's burdeny racist than like, um, <laughs> than like, hey, black people are weird. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, and that's the thing, even with this, because there is a big Native American element, like, story element to this. But, and of course, it is more, like, not necessarily trying to be racist or anything. It's more just, like, shorthand, like, movie shorthand. Like, okay, what? how do we represent Indians real quick, or how do we convey this, like, without, you know, putting Indian tribe this year, stuff like that. So they kind of went for more broader stuff. But at at the same time, like, it's never that offensive, and it seems to more kind of see it as inspirational or kind of uses it as a way to, like, hey, the the evil, rich, white mining corporation is the bad guy, and it's the people that are that are committed to, like, the old uh, Indian ways and stuff. Like, they're the heroes. So, like, that's, that's why it kind of feels like its heart's in the right place. Its heart is in the right place. It's not there to other... Native Americans, which is why the sweetness still shines through. Um, it's there to um, sort of like glorify stereotypical aspects of their culture. And that's also an interesting thing about this. We're going to be covering kids movies and kids television in this this uh, this series. Yet, I'm not sure which of these movies I would actually show to a child. Because hmm. part of me is like... Because part of me is like, I, I want like little kids to love Ernest as much as I do, but also like, I don't know if little kids are gonna understand that like, yeah, I mean Native Americans aren't these like magical mystical people that you can look up to as your spirit guides to like guide you through troubling times. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, like, there's also, there's also like, it tries to apply a balance through a nurse character that's just like, um, it's Ernest's love interest. But it's she's not sexualized. She's uh, competent and she has a sense of peace. Like she disagrees with her grandfather. So like you know, mm-hmm. one the race is not depicted as like a you know a singular front, um, and it's not depicted as a warlike people. Um, yeah, no, you have like the older, more chief guy. Again, this guy, Ironized Cody, is very famous for playing a lot of like Indian roles throughout the history of movies and stuff. Probably most famously for being part of those ads in the 80s of like the, the crying Indian, like yes. trying to stop pollution and stuff like that. Uh, come to find out, which I didn't know until I did research about this, he was Italian. What? Uh, yeah. Oh. He he is uh he is the like firstborn of like uh two first generation Italian immigrants. His real name was like a a Decorti or something like that, like Oscar Decorti, and he changed his not his name to Cody Ironized Cody. Ironized uh, Cody is a pretty fucking badass name. Mm-hmm. So, uh... but no, he he's literally like full blooded Italian, and he <laughs> got famous for playing like Native American roles in movies and stuff, and westerns and things like that. And then eventually got that ad where he, you know, the the teardrop Indian guy. But yeah, it, you know, he was he was Italian the whole time. But I think like he did speak up for a lot of Native American causes and stuff. I think he was kind of like somewhat inducted as like you know a non-Indian Indian by a certain tribe or something because he did speak out, you know, against issues involving Native Americans and I guess maybe saw himself as Native American even though he actually was not. And that is in the, uh, you know, the parlance of today, that's that's uh, whitewashing. Um, and it's uh, very uncomfortable, like, in, in the well, modern it's, parlance. Well, it's Italian washing. Yeah, but... but... <laughs> yeah, it's Italian washing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's something I didn't know. I don't even know how to process that. Like that's a very strange. Like I, I didn't know the Indian in the uh, in the, the the don't litter ads was uh, Italian. Yeah, um, there. Yeah, like, 
I know, that, like, that, white that people decimated Asian populations, but, like, could they seriously not find an actual Native American to, like, give some work to? Well, and I feel like even that, like, uh, you would probably have to read more into his backstory and stuff, but I'm sure it's like he wanted to be an actor, he went out to Hollywood, but because of his dark skin and maybe just the way his face is structured or something, that's probably the kind of roles he could get initially, and maybe he just leaned into that, and he's like, no, I'm going to be like the Native American actor. And maybe just became fascinated with the culture or something and decided to play that role and just be that guy. I I don't know. I don't know if it was more malicious just being like, I'm going to take all the Indian roles away from real Native Americans. He probably just really liked working. Yeah, exactly. More playing producers for not not noticing. Um, Yeah, just being like, oh, that guy, he's an Indian, obviously, so we're going to put him as an Indian in in this Western (laughs) picture, and he's going to be the evil bad guy, of course. So, Marcus, not to get too sidetracked, but if you don't mind me plugging... Your podcast, one of your podcasts, Jean-Paul Van Damme. Yeah, why um, not go for it? Knock yourself <laughs> out. Uh, if you don't mind me pl- plugging that, that reminds me of in the episode that I was on, uh, which featured a Russian prison, and about a third of the inmates and guards were uh, Hispanic were Hispanic men yeah. playing Russians, which is not really offensive, I don't think, in like an American context, because that's not really how how these things work. Like, that's not how those dynamics work. Like, people don't get offended by Hispanics stealing roles from Eastern Europeans, really, uh, in America. Because it's not, like, a problem we have. Um, But uh, that does remind me of that, where you're just like, somebody, some casting director just, like, took one look at this person. They're like, yeah, I guess you could, I guess you could pass for, I mean, this is a prison movie, right? There's got to be some Latinos in here. (laughs) It kind of seems like the the thinking of a producer. Yeah, it's like right. no, no. I know, I know prisons. Uh, you know that you, you got to have some some colorful people in there. You got to have some some Spanish gang members in there, or else it's not a prison, right? It's in Bulgaria. <laughs> ah, the prisons are prison everywhere. <laughs> I'm not going to blame the director for some reason. I'm just not going to blame. I just I just trust that somebody was like, yeah, this is your cast, and he was like aren't these all supposed to be Russians? And they're like, this is your cast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that, that's that's something to, to touch, that we're going to be touching on throughout the series as well, is that there's some racial insensitivities. It's not as big of an issue in this movie uh, as uh, it sounds like in later movies, but it's it's just, just we're getting better. We're like, I know the world seems really shitty right now with Trump as president, but we're getting, we're getting better. Um, and because of that, we're getting uh, touchier to uh, minorities being othered, being pushed aside, whatever verb you want to use to uh, minorities not being treated as equal citizens and equal people, uh, whatever you want to use for that, um, that's just one thing we're going to be you know touching on as the series goes on. Maybe for Ernest Goes to Africa, it'll be the whole episode. I don't know. That's that's yeah, that's quite that's a bit to away be seen. Yes. That's the, I think that's probably well that and Ernest in the Army are I think the only ones I've literally only seen once, and they were like the very end of the run, and I think I maybe just like rented those once and watched them and never went back to them. Uh, Marcus is a very uh, you know nice guy. Uh, I don't know if you can tell that's a that's a brutal review. That's a scathing review for Marcus Jones right there that he only yeah, watched yeah, uh, Ernest movie once. Yeah, because all the other ones, whew, oh boy, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so, uh, one thing I want to touch on real quick uh, is that if you want to get the first, like, four Ernest movies and cover yourself for the, the first chunk of this podcast, you can get, like, a $4 DVD on Amazon. 
Oh yeah, uh, no, that that's a really good set. <laughs> it's it's literally just like just Or like, if you or if you just like camp centric movies, I'm pretty sure Ernest Goes to Camp is in a two pack with Camp Nowhere, another nineties or a nineties camp movie with Christopher Lloyd, so get get your camp on. I didn't know other people watched Camp Nowhere. Uh, growing up until very recently that other people had seen it because i suggested doing it for the show um and it didn't go anywhere but uh (laughs) some people were like yeah definitely do camp nowhere i was like i didn't know other people were attached to camp nowhere but yeah oh yeah though that heavyweights like i'm I'm all about some (laughs) some weird kid camp movies yeah heavyweights i watched recently and it uh completely transcends nostalgia some of these camp movies uh, that sort of went on to inform What Hot American Summer, some of them are great. Meatballs is not that great. No, it, it's not. Like, Bill Murray is charming, but it's Bill Murray in the 80s. Like, of course, he's going to be charming, but it's, yeah, just not a great movie in general. Bill Murray's However, the only good part about it. with Corey Feldman. <laughs> There's a picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another thing about Marcus Jones, he's a, a Corey acolyte. Uh, he, he loves the Coreys, or at least... I, I, well, I, I love them both, but not, not every Corey is created equal. <laughs> Rest in peace, Corey Haim, but, you know, yeah, on, Feldman. Feldman all the way, baby. <laughs> Feldmania, baby. Yeah. Um, let's, let's just say, I've listened to the audiobook of choreography <laughs> a time or two <laughs> in my life. Oh, God, I need to get to that, and by that I mean I'm not putting any rush on being horrifically depressed anytime soon. Let's Um, just say I got myself a free Audible trial just to get that book. (laughs) Oh, man, you're the modern coupon hunter of of this day. (laughs) But, um, so, uh, Well, I mean, you know, I'm not going to pay for it. (laughs) Oh, of course. So, uh... Jumping back a little bit, just oh yeah, seconds. sorry. So this, this is an earnest podcast. Like, no, just like ten seconds. Heavyweights, Camp Nowhere, Meatballs. Uh, on the other kind of flip side of that, Sleepaway Camp, um, and Friday the Thirteenth. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of summer camp movies uh, that both I think inform this movie and also came from this movie. So like, well, I feel like all the '90s kind of kid camp movies have a debt of uh, have a oh a debt to Ernest goes to camp definitely for sure camp nowhere for sure does too they all share similar dna and like i i don't have a map like a genealogical map on which movies inspired which but mm-hmm. i do know that it ends with what hot american summer because this more so the show than the movie but this movie feels like at any moment it's going to turn into a Wet Hot American Summer riff because it's about Native American, protected Native American lands that there's a camp on and yeah. and there's this weird, diverse group of uh, like uh, juvie kids that gets brought into the camp. And oh protect- man, what it took so little to to be one of the bad kids in the eighties. Yeah, and like in the show, like in the show, what had American Summer? Uh, Reagan uh, wanting to destroy the camp for no reason. Very similar to that. There's a yeah. Here company. you just have Dean Wormer. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Dean Wormer exclusively played assholes. Like that was like his, his shtick, and he's really good at it. Um, oh yeah he is and not even just in comedies too like just in like he, he was in dirty harry he played the mayor in dirty harry oh yeah oh yeah and he, he was like <laughs> dirty harry he's like basically uh because dirty harry is well i love dirty harry don't get me wrong i love that 
era of grody uh, awful exploitation movies mm. uh don't let don't let dads and uh you know amc trick you dirty harry is a gross exploitation movie about why bureaucracies fail and vigilante justice is the only way to go <laughs> um but uh it, it's basically Har- like it, it's <sighs> It's like a step away from being Death Wish, pretty much. It basically is. It's that he technically has a badge. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, so, uh, this, this Gene Warmer character is so evil that he feels plucked from a different movie, and it's sort of indicative of the entire movie Ernest Goes to Camp, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that, 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 that uh, you know, it starts off as this, like, uh, it starts off as, Ernest doesn't get any respect from campers. And then... Oh, or just the people that run the camp. The counselors, everybody. Like, nobody respects Ernest. Oh, no, yeah. And then it's and then it's uh, troubled youth get brought into the camp. So it's about Ernest, like, uh, you know, dangerous minds, uh, high school high, you know, those kind yeah. of movies. Well, like... he takes them under their wing, and he's the only one that'll actually give them a chance. Yes. Those those kind of like you know I'm gonna inspire this generation I don't and because of wait Ernest, did you mention high school high did yeah. I hear that okay good thank you it's funny because I I saw the parody before I saw the real ones me these, too like, I saw me too. I saw high school high well, well before I said uh, you know stand and deliver and dangerous well, minds and stuff yes. like that yeah same here I saw uh, it first I saw high school high I probably saw stand and deliver. And then I probably saw the South Park episode where where Cartman's like, "How do I reach these kids?" And then I probably saw Dangerous Minds. So like, I didn't see any of this in the right order. Um, but it's it's very. And then it becomes that movie. Then it becomes a movie about troubled youth taking advantage of a mentally ill man, which is Ernest. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then it becomes about uh, a mentally ill man tricking a Native American uh, into giving into up signing his, his his land away. Yes, and then it becomes about uh, Ernest militarizing child soldiers to fight against a corporate company. And that's when the movie feels very dark. Like, it almost feels like a, a Joe or some 70s movie where you're like, oh, Ooh. shit, things just got very violent. <laughs> Good call. And that's the thing, though, but it, it still has that lighthearted demeanor. Like, there's a rockin', like montage like of them getting together and then like the whole thing is happening and of course as a child watching it it's so exciting and cool like fighting against you know the the evil guys and like the little guys can win but i was watching it this time and i was like so they killed a good amount of people doing this right (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so that that, they're launching i thought it was like i thought it was going to be more of them launching food at them with the food cannon no, they uh, literally launch explosives and shoot flaming arrows and, like, everything blows up and there's people jumping away from explosions. They literally launch a, uh, like a, not quite suicide bomber because Ernest gets to bail out, but they uh, they launch a, like, suicidal golf cart at uh, a giant bulldozer. A man steps out of the flames, dazed by an explosion, and then Ernest Ernest pimp him slaps him. He pimp slaps him. Yeah, he doesn't punch him. Pimp slaps him. Ah, <laughs> uh, but that that felt good because he's the guy that beat up Ernest a little earlier. So like, you were you're with him. You're like, now you can take him, Ernest. He, you wore him down. Yeah, yeah, he earned it. You know that he through his pain, um, he he got to to earn the beating up of a of a disabled man. He got to he got to bring him down to his level. Um, 
by making him mentally dis- or he, he Ernest as a mentally disabled man got to bring down a physically disabled man to a level wherein he could beat him up. And you did you mentioned the uh, kind of runaway uh, golf cart thing. It's not a golf cart, but it's something kind of like that. Um, but when you brought up Wet Hot American Summer, uh, that clicked with me because it made me realize like this film, like even though it's kind of a kids comedy, it has a lot of like silly jokes and stuff. It has a lot of like absurdist humor that would fit right in with Wet Hot American Summer. And one of the prime examples is that golf cart thing that just like it's like a capper. It, it's a period at the end of every scene that just like happens to be ra- wandering the camp by itself. It's a good, it's a good, um, it's something that a lot of people complain about comedy movies having, um, feeling like they're stretching jokes too far. And that's why I think like, uh, I just said this recently, uh, on, uh, we love to watch as well. I think that a great comedy movie does not ne- necessarily come out every year. I think every year we get a new, uh, great comedy TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very common. Uh, because the 20-minute to 40-minute format is... The 20-minute format is amazing for comedy. I think movies, it's very hard to keep, you know, a certain conceit running and staying funny. And one of the well, advantages you can have in a movie length is that when you keep returning to these jokes, there's enough time for us to have completely forgotten about that dumb fucking golf cart thing. And then so it comes it, back. And, and it's funny yeah, again. It's, yeah, it's like a background player in the movie. And even, like, there there are times where you could say, like, the whole eggs erroneous thing, which we haven't even scratched the surface of. I know but nothing yeah, about the, those cocaine fiend cooks. Okay, so here's the thing, is that one of them is a character you will see in, I believe, almost every Ernest movie. Um, and including, he was in the TV show as well. Um, and I, I forget his name, but he has a very interesting name, like like Gate Gatelard or something like that. I think is his first name. Um, but yeah, no, he plays Chuck. And in this movie, it's kind of the first time they've appeared, I guess. So it's Chuck, and then I think like uh, I forget who played the other guy. He's forgettable, but he gets replaced very quickly with another actor who plays Bobby. And I think Chuck and Bobby are supposed to be like brothers. But even in the TV show, uh, the episode we watched, they they are in that as Chuck and Bobby. But this is, I guess, the first time, and it was Chuck and then some other guy that was with him. Yeah. But I think starting with the next movie, uh, Ernest Saves Christmas, it's Chuck and Bobby. Because by that point, I guess they had already been doing the TV show and they got that actor that played Bobby. So I want to say that Chuck and Bobby are incredibly funny to me. And Oh yeah, I, I think they're the perfect kind of almost like a, a Laurel and Hardy dynamic kind of thing. Um, which is kind of funny because eventually in the late 90s, uh, <laughs> John Cherry ended up directing a like New Adventures of Laurel and Hardy thing starring the guy that played Chuck and Bronson Pinchot. Oh, God, really? Yeah. The BP? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, watch the trailer. It looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that being good. But he has a really... Uh, the guy that... Who's the loud guy? Sorry, the big, the big, the big fat loud guy. Chuck. Chuck. Yeah. Um, Chuck is uh, a comic genius. Chuck is a comic genius, and he has an amazing uh, yelling voice. And every time he popped up in the movie, I started laughing because you just start yelling nonsense, and it worked. Well, and Every that's the thing time. is, this time, the, the the guy that they have in here, and I, his name's like Dan Butler or something like that, but I, I can't recall his actual character name in the movie, um, but he has a really weird timing and delivery, uh, and it, it 
it bounces off of Chuck in an interesting way, but he wasn't great as, like, the second half of that duo. That's why when he got replaced with Bobby, who was, like, a very kind of short, scrawny, silent type, he, he's, like, the, the teller. You know, he, he, he's the, the, the silent one or, like, the, the, the harpo or something. And it just, that dynamic works when you have this loud, boisterous guy and then this kind of, like, scrawny, silent type doing more, like, you know, uh, physical kind of comedy while he's doing vocal comedy. It, it matches really well together. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it because there's a, uh, there's a sort of off-kilter energy to their dynamic where that matches what their characters are supposed to be in the movie. Like, they're supposed to be insane people. Like, it, it does read almost like these cocaine fiends somehow got uh, a job working at a summer camp. Like, they like, seem straight like, out of sleepaway camp. Yeah. <laughs> the, the quiet one is just like grinding away very quietly like just like you i, I almost imagine his teeth actually grinding where he's just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and chuck yeah, always has like the crazy guy. eyes going back and forth and stuff like that and, Ch- and chuck sort of mumbles sometimes sometimes he like caps off a joke that he starts he starts yelling at the beginning of a joke and by the end he's mumbling he's he's muttering it under his breath by the end and that's that's a it's a powerful thing um, because I don't think that most actors could pull off that sort of like just live wire energy without it being annoying. I mean, well, and uh, I think that's the thing, and especially why the character of Chuck stuck around. And I guess they found a dynamic that worked more so uh, going forward with Bobby. But the interactions between Chuck and Ernest. I think, like, they bounce off of each other so well. Like, the scene where he is trying to feed him eggs erroneous, I think, like, they just have a perfect back and forth, and they just seem like they had a ball playing so, off wh- of each other. What the fuck is eggs erroneous? Uh, it's it's a running gag in the movie, but it's basically just, like, this thing that they're trying to make, like, the holy grail of summer camp cook dishes that, like, they're trying to perfect and work. And it says, like, it's made of powdered eggs and 17 herbs and spices and stuff, but then he keeps being, like, modeling clay. That's a secret ingredient of eggs erroneous. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it feels like a meth fiend or a cocaine, a cocaine fiend where it's, like, he's just, like... I'm stuck on this one thing, and I'm gonna grind away at it forever. Exactly, it, it is. It's like it's yeah. The, it's the it's the dragon that they're chasing is Exoronius, and they even like there is a stinger scene in this movie <laughs> as the credits get started where he finally perfects Exoronius and he makes the other guy try it, and then he turns into like an opera singer. <laughs> oh, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so yeah. What is what is Ernest Goes to Camp? We've sort of been diving into it, like, headlong. But it's a movie, like, I, I tried to lay it out, but it's essentially, like, a, a lot of... It feels like it came from, like, 1997 or 2007, almost. Like, it feels almost like a parody of camp movies. Because mm-hmm. it touches on so many different types of camp movies. Defending the campground at the end. Uh, you know, uh... People Which is very much like a like a Meatballs sequels kind of thing. Like it's always like, oh, we got a thing with the camp across the lake, and we might lose the camp unless we win this fucking uh, water ski competition or whatever. Yes, it feels like they're they're always like trying to find a new manipulation on the the technique. Like the only thing they're missing is like a Friday the Thirteenth riff in this movie. Um, Which I feel like again the the 
the, the camp cooks uh, they seem like the kind of weird creepy cooks out of like sleepaway camp or something like they're kind of like the old crazy guys at the yeah. camp yeah yeah like that if are they probably had... secretly poisoning everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah like if they had any interest in uh if they had any interest in actually like interacting with these kids on a human level the kids would be incredibly creeped out Oh yeah, well they actually did have one scene with like the delinquent kids where they actually talk to them during lunch, and that's the only time you see them talk to children, which is for the best because even that <laughs> one scene is kind of off-putting. Yeah, yeah, it, it for sure is. So do you do we want to talk about Operation Second Chance? Yeah, let, let's talk about that, and let's talk about these kids uh, in particular because basically it's just your run-of-the-mill uh, Indian-themed camp run by a bunch of white guys. Oh, yeah. Um, with just owned by, you know, one of the last members of this Indian tribe and his daughter, who's like the camp medic. Um, but yeah, no, uh, there's basically, I guess, a state-run governor's program or something called Operation Second Chance, where they give kind of uh, delinquent kids from like a home for boys or something a chance to come to camp for the summer and experience, you know, what well-to-do white kids get to experience so it's like i I don't know i guess a little bit less well-to-do white kids get to join them yeah and operation second chance is an interesting thing because as soon as i heard operation second chance i realized that that's a kind of a perfect metaphor for hey Vern, it's a podcast because we're giving uh we want to give Ernest a second pass for people and you know it's sort of like recontextualization of what Ernest movies were and it's also weirdly a, a it could just we could just rename the we love to watch network second chance network because like that's like been the ethos for like a lot of shit that we've worked on it could also be a nickname for like jean pod van damme because like yeah. you're also filtering through a lot of trash like that's just like the second chance uh, operation second chance is like a kind of a beautiful turn of phrase that i've been thinking about it, it is but i also think it's beyond that more than just like you know giving things a chance that might not be good or that people might shit on or something but i think it's also because a big thing in this podcast is going to be for me at least is going to be nostalgia and trying to see what's nostalgia and what's actually good what what's comedy what's art because like that's kind of our dynamic here you have a you know somewhat experience with Ernest, kind of more maybe more know him on the sidelines i was like a devout Ernest fan as a child and kind of still am i still kind of love Ernest because of what he meant to me as a child and this movie is a prime example because this is like the first movie of his i ever saw i've seen it dozens upon dozens of times probably at least like 30 times at least i actually just a couple years back when i was living in austin went to an alamo draft house and saw ernest goes to camp on the big screen with the director john cherry there and i won a storyboard from this film of the opening scene of him fighting the plunger and it's like it was amazing to meet john cherry and talk to him for a minute he was a super nice guy and ernest goes to camp is probably my favorite of all the ernest movies so that's what I'm going to be dealing with every episode is like, do I like this because of the feeling it gives me, the nostalgia, or is it just good on its own? And maybe you can kind of even me out on that. I would like for uh, that to be a nice balance going on because I'm watching these purely as children's movies that I'm watching as an adult. So like the more it panders to like, uh, you know, the dumbness of kids, the, mm-hmm. I, I might not be on board for but the more it panders to like the sweetness of Ernest as a character and like making like an exciting fun comedy movie I'm gonna be totally on board for it because I love like the innocence of children's movies 
And mm-hmm. I love that they're, like, not intending to hurt anyone's feelings. Like, in a day and age where, like, Twitter is, like, one of the meanest places on the internet, uh, <sighs> I really love the idea. I really love the idea of, like, leaning into uh, some quality children's television programming for uh, and movie programming for... Yeah, for, exactly. Uh, it, it needs to have that sweetness that kind of is what made at least me uh, attach myself to it as a child. Yes. And that's something here, even watching it as an adult, I, I can admit easily, like, this isn't a masterpiece movie or anything like that. I understand a lot of it's kind of dumb, some of it's kind of insensitive, uh, some of it just becomes weirdly, like, violent and stuff like that for a children's movie, but at the same time, it's still, wor- there are so many times we're not even expecting it, even though I've seen the movie a million times, it had been since I saw it in Austin last since I had seen it, it's like, there were surprises laughs coming out of me this got surprise snorts out of me a couple of times just because <laughs> like i forgot about a joke or something that just caught me off guard and was genuinely funny but then there's also the nostalgic points to where like yeah i still cried when ernest saying gee i'm glad it's raining that still gets me like that scene leading up to it and him singing like that that touches my heart <laughs> and that's probably yeah. nostalgia yeah i i agree entirely like it, it um it, it touches kind of on a few different things that make it feel like a full a fully rounded movie and it wants you to love Ernest um, which is also kind of a trick where they're like well if you love Ernest as a character even when this movie's not that funny you're still going to be on board because he's uh he's your buddy now like you forgive well, you your, see, you you forgive your friends for ba- yeah you forgive your friends for bad jokes yeah uh, yeah, that's true. You most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you well, I hope so. Our network depends on uh, on you guys forgiving me for bad jokes. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is that you see him. You do see him go through this arc in this movie to where you know he's just the character of Ernest that you kind of know from the, the commercials and stuff. He's just a, a goofy southernish kind of guy that you know thinks he's cool and thinks he knows a lot about the world, but is just kind of a, a doofus. And that's fine. And then, like, okay, he forms a relationship with these kids and kind of becomes their hero. But then they see him get beaten down and that he's not everything he says he is. And sometimes the little guy just loses. And there's that scene where he's getting kind of fixed up by uh, the doctor, uh, Nurse St. Cloud. And he, like, kind of cries a little bit. And, like, he's bloody and bruised. And he's just like, this camp, it means everything to me. And, like, it's all gone now. Like, that made me cry like i felt that and then he has this like beautiful song where like because i think this is the only one where he actually like sings a song that i can recall and which is kind of weird and why this movie is a bit different than the others uh but yeah he has a little like montage where he sings a song about how he's happy that it's raining because they can't see him crying like ah and then you get to see his redemptive arc at the end where he stands up yeah like uh what I say to that is, like, who does not weep for Ernest? What cold soul cannot feel for this this poor creature? Like, mm-hmm. wh- why do they pummel this this poor Ernest with a uh, you know emotional and physical harm? Uh, you just want nothing nothing to bad to happen to Ernest ever. Oh yeah, we were going to talk about the, the the Last Chance Boys. <laughs> Let's do the that. Last Chance Boys. It's that the little boy looks exactly like Michael Pena, and I want to confirm oh. that it's not Michael Pena. Oh no, it's Jacob Vargas. There we go. But he does—he does look very similar to Michael Pena, and actually, kind of. I mean, Michael Pena is kind of more A-list, and he's more B-list. Uh, but Jacob Vargas has been at a ton of things and is constantly working. He's probably the most successful out of the the Second Chance boys. Um, it, I think the first time, because I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Uh, 
but I think one of the first times I really was like, holy shit, that's that's Vargas from Ernest Goes to Camp, was he was in Next Friday as Joker. I don't know if you remember that film at all. I do remember Next Friday. Yeah, uh, so he was like the 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 Mexican like gangster guy that they like had to try to get stuff out of his house. I don't fucking remember the plot of Next Friday, but he was in there, and I was like, "That's Vargas from Ernest Goes to Camp," and no one cared. With I, but I wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah, he has a a very easygoing sort of uh, sense of comedy where mm-hmm. like uh, he just has really good comedic timing, like. Uh, this Jacob Vargas guy is, is definitely the the only actor I think of of all the uh, the Lost Boys, the Second Chance Boys, to uh, I think really really escape this movie. Um, well, I mean, so well the guy that plays Crutchfield, and let's just say Crutchfield is my favorite of these kids, and was since I was a kid, and I, it's silly because I probably like some of them a bit more, but I think I just loved his look. Like, the, the bracelets with, with the spikes on them and the jean vest jacket thing. I was just like, that's a cool dude. Um, <laughs> his name... Uh, oh, whoa, Scott Menville is his name. Uh, and he's, like, really big in voice acting more so than anything else. But he famously, on Mission Hill, played Kevin French. Which is one of my all-time favorite cartoon shows. Yeah, Mission Hill is a sort of transitional show, isn't it? It's sort of like uh, when it was it was when we were finally allowing like Adult Swim style comedy to exist. That and like the oblong. Well, for for a season. Yeah, for a season, yeah, exactly. It's sort of like a transitional thing where people are like starting to get used to like animation being used in this weird way, just like on TV. Um, yeah, I I uh, I feel like this movie feels like and we discussed this very briefly but i feel like this movie is a 90s movie that doesn't realize it um it doesn't feel like an 80s it's ahead of its time yeah that's true like i guess a camp movie is sort of an 80s thing um but and it does have a look of, of the 80s more or less but a lot of even like i don't know I think Crutchfield kind of looks like he's out of the 90s more so, but most of the other ones, like, there are so many, like, ex- short-cut shirt, exposed tummy on, like, little boys in this, and I was like, that feels like a real 80s thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that that part is true. It's just, like, there's a, uh, there's a sort of uh, sense of, like, edginess that feels sort of more 80s to me. Like, those, all the, all the kids feel very uh, 90s to me, I think, actually. Uh, well, yeah, because it's not so much 80s kids in a way to where, like, you know, they curse and stuff and, like, they're treated more like adults. They are more kind of, like, jokey 90s kids movie kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. More, more like, lovable scamps than, like, Bart Simpsons. Yeah. Like, less, like, heels that are, like, you know, causing mischief and more, like, yeah, like, lovable scamps. Um, though they are completely assholes for a section of the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, well, <laughs> they, and they like, get to several fights, artists. but they're all like tiny. They're they're children. <laughs> they're they're just all scrawny and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. they can't fight anyway. But that's an interesting thing that I that these movies always seem to fall back on. These camp movies and high school movies as well, but camp movies notably, they always want us to identify with the losers. Which I understand rooting for an underdog is easier, but like, mm-hmm. why are there? 
Like, can people not picture a version of camp that's, like, sort of, like, flat in hierarchy? Like, we always have to... There always has to be winners and losers in these camp movies, even well, if the I other think, camp think, is the winners. I think that's a bit more psychological in general, just underdogs and always rooting for the losers and stuff like that, because I think psychologically, people that make movies or writers or anything kind of feel like even no matter where we are in the hierarchy at least the people that consume entertainment kind of feel themselves as losers and be like no the other guys like i'm the underdog fighting against the man trying to get somewhere better and they feel like they can relate more to that because they think we're all losers i guess or maybe we think (laughs) we're all losers because you know like the rich and famous aren't gonna watch Ernest goes to camp that's gonna be for me the kid from mobile alabama (laughs) that's that's kind of true where they're like the kids that actually need it part of the reason they root for underdogs is like the kids that actually need it feel might feel like they're actually underdogs yeah um the kids that need it most are the ones that are getting it so it's a noble thing it's just an interesting thing how the movie basically as soon as the second chance kids come in we're like oh those are our our kid identifiers those are our kid protagonists it's mm-hmm. it's not the other kids at camp like we barely get to know the other kids at camp yeah but they're assholes yeah they do <laughs> seem like they're just like privileged assholes who like just look down on these kids but hey in the end they join the fight and we come together to take care of the real enemy evil white businessmen yeah <laughs> yeah this movie is uh, deeply socialist it has a you know snow piercer <laughs> Uh, sort of a, a vibe it's basically to it. it's basically like that but with Ernest. <laughs> Snowpiercer. Ernest goes definitely. to Snowpiercer. <laughs> Snowpiercer discovers the dark secret of the great engine. Um, it's just Ernest tinkering away, hitting things with wrenches. <laughs> <laughs> hey Vern, if this train stops, we all die. <laughs> um, but there's so. Hey Vern, get to the back car. <laughs> Hey Vern, that blackout means you're all gonna die. Um, there's a hey Vern, of... you see that polar bear? <laughs> there is a sort of uh, unlo- there's a few moments that get unlocked that unlock. There's a few moments that unlock Ernest for character. Yeah. Which, by the way, I do just want to point out that is going to be a part of the show is that we're going to try to work out an Ernest impression each. Oh. So, like, this is this is very raw. Hopefully, by episode thirteen, we'll have something manageable in place. <laughs> but well, you'll you'll come along with us on that journey, gentle something listener. not teeth gritting. Yeah. Um, Ernest kind of gets unlocked in a few moments in this movie where I'm like, okay, so he's he's not just like an idiot man. He's kind of like a well-spoken bullshitter idiot man. And the whetstone scene is really what unlocks that. When he uh, he's talking about sharpening the kid's switchblade, and he goes, he, he like grabs the stone, he licks it, tries to hide the fact that it tastes disgusting. He's like, he's like, yeah, it's just the way you got to do it, and and just uh, starts to, to to sharpen the knife. And everybody knows that he's being an, a, a dummy, but he bullshits kit people and children and whatever. He treats children like adults. Well, I- I feel like, um, and I don't, I don't even know if this term is okay to use or not, but I kind of think this is what the Ernest character is trying to be, is kind of like a, an idiot savant. Yes. To where it's kind of, 
like he's a klutz he's kind of goofy he's maybe a little bit lower intelligence or something but it kind of seems like when he turns it on like when he's trying to impress someone or trying to like seem worldly or something his brain just kind of takes off without him and he just kind of goes on a shtick like it just yeah. goes and goes to where maybe he's like blacked out and he's not even realizing what he's saying but he kind of like there are little moments of bring him back like when he licked the stone he's like first you gotta wet the stone and he licks it and then he kind of like oh I just licked a stone and he's like that's the hard part (laughs) (laughs) you're right but it's not like an anxious thing like he's anxiously trying to impress them he's just like sort of like you're right something else steps in him like something else steps up he's like well i can you know i have great knowledge in this category whereas in reality his brain is just like a jumble of thoughts and he's like what stone how would i get this stone wet well (laughs) well lick it of course that's the the nearest wet thing but i think one of the the greatest juxtapositions of that is okay this happens i think twice in the movie but when ernest lights a match and like immediately like he has something he's gonna he's gonna light a lantern he's about to like set something on fire that's gonna cause an explosion in the middle of it he lights it and then like he blank face like he just stares into the flame and loses himself for a moment like that's what Ernest is but then you know you you talk to him about about like you know uh Indian rituals and he's like oh I know about that (laughs) but like again he'll get he'll get transfixed in a flame from a match and lose himself just as easily yeah he is a um he's a beautiful character because uh as the movie goes on you seem to like uh, almost like preternaturally understand what he's going to do and yet still are surprised when like funny things come out of his mouth so like uh there's a there's a great thing where uh the cooks uh the cocaine fiend cooks are trying to get him to eat something and he goes oh oh i can i can't eat on an empty stomach which is a really good line like that's yeah. like ab- that's absurdist in a way that i really respect and i hope that more of the movies have Oh yeah, well, there's another really good one I want to give an example of, uh, but it's when he is in the nurse's office and he's about to have to get his first shot, and he, he just like tries to get out of it and being kind of like weaselly, and it's just like, uh, you know, cold, wet nose, a uh, good color. He sniffs his armpit, no fever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really good like little bit of comedy from Jim Barney. Yeah. Which again, this is this is a Jim Barney love podcast as well. A little bit. Uh, he of course passed away in the early 2000s, I believe, but. A real talent that kind of got stuck with this character that like obviously skyrocketed him to fame that he might not have seen otherwise but of course you know he was a guy and a much different guy than his character he was very like southern gentleman drank a lot smoked like a fucking chimney shot guns like that that's kind of who he was but he was also this children's icon in a way which is weird yeah yeah I like to think in real life that he was as sweet as Ernest is, but like... It, From what I've read, he did seem like he, he was a pretty sweet guy. But he yeah. was, all the time, like, he almost didn't do this movie. Like, right when the Ernest train was kind of taken off, he almost didn't do it because he wanted to be a country singer. And he was like, I feel like I gotta do it now or else it's gonna get too late. But he ended up doing this movie, and then this was the rest of his life, pretty much, with a few exceptions. 
I, that would be an interesting uh, mix of things. But also, like, how long were these movies taking to produce? Like, I feel like he could have done both. Was he doing these and the commercials? Yeah, time? they were still doing the commercials the whole... I mean, that minus when they actually sense. went and filmed. But yeah, no, they were... Because basically, John Cherry was, like, running an ad company. They were shooting earnest commercials for all different sorts of companies. And then, yeah, they kind of took some time off and went and did a movie. And then they pretty much were just putting out movies, like, every year or two after that until the late 90s. There's a sort of like train uh, momentum where you're like once this this uh, earnest train starts going and like the movies are starting to get well received and starting to make him money like yeah I totally under- like it's good of him to have some sense of perspective where he was like mm-hmm. he's like you know I'm already super busy adding on this whole other thing and you know if it if it's successful um, I'm gonna be stuck on this if it's unsuccessful yeah. people might not want to hear my fucking country album they might start laughing. Yeah, exactly, which I don't know if he ever recorded anything or put anything out, but that's what would have happened and be like, oh, Ernest made a country album. And it's like, no, he was actually just a guy. But again, that would have taken up a lot of his time, I feel like, because not only just recording, but then he would, of course, want to go tour and play a bunch of smoky nightclubs and shit like that. Like, that would have been kind of the end of Ernest, probably. For sure. But at the same time, he was a professional. He was like a Shakespearean-trained actor, and he, like did his job okay you want me to be funny you want me to do this physical comedy you want me to play this dumb guy i'm there i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna do it fucking well yeah even when the and that's something i have a lot of respect for actually as somebody who like understands that like uh, writing is hard and uh you know producing movies on the scale is hard and like the magic of delivering lines is hard it's kind of nice to have somebody like jim barney behind it's kind of nice to have somebody like Jim Varney in front of the camera. Like, it doesn't matter if the joke's bad, he's going to lean into it. Like, literally, the first joke in the movie, I think, like, first real joke, is he falls off of that ladder. That's a Within good joke. two minutes. <laughs> yes, that's a good joke. And then the second joke is not a very good joke, but it's Ernest puts his head in a toilet because he's cleaning the toilet, and he just goes, Ew. Oh, that's yeah. Not, that's not a good joke, but I it's laughed not, but because he it's commits. Jim Varney. Yeah, he commits so much to it. He just, like, becomes whatever character he's playing in a way that just, it makes it really interesting. Because, uh, uh, again, we'll get into it eventually, but he does these things uh, in movies, not so much in this one, where he does, like, these character montages where he plays, like, five different characters in the span of a minute. Very, like, Robin Williams-esque and stuff. But he just, like, completely changes into each different character and leans into it so heavily, like, even if the joke isn't great, like it's kind of like you want to be in on the joke because he believes in it so much you want to believe in it too. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally buy that because it's um, – he wants he, – he's making a sales pitch to you with every line. Like he, I think the, the, the salesman aspect of him and how the character developed helped made it a lot funnier because like – he knows he, he's just like throwing out these lines with such like an effort and an ease and like yeah obviously Ernest is like a well-spoken dude which is a weird thing about him like he's yeah he's like an idiot savant but he's like a well-spoken guy and that mm-hmm. makes it so like any line could be like your favorite from the whole like a uh, scene with Ernest mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I'm a big fan of of Jim Barney as a performer and we will continue to <laughs> continue to talk him up for the rest of this show yeah, and I guess like since this is kind of the 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 proto like the prototypical Ernest film, it's kind of it, like there was some stuff before this, and of course the commercials. But this is kind of what set the precedence for Ernest movies to come. So, do we want to kind of maybe set some rules or set some boundaries of what like Ernest tropes are going to be going forward? 
Yes, I think we should, we should set some tropes, and then I have a couple ideas for recurring segments that may or may not get abandoned, because this is the fucking pilot, and uh, we gotta throw it out there for it to, to see if it works. Absolutely. So, for off the bat, just because of what these movies are and what it is, children. Being paired with children, being the leader of children, a hero for children, that, that's gotta be a trope, right? Him and children. For sure. Uh, because he is a man-child, uh, but not in a uh, horny frat boy way like Adam Sandler was or Seth Rogen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a he's a, a man-boy in the sense that, like, uh, you know, he has some competence of somebody who has his years and can speak well and understand some things. But he also has, like, an inner innocence and an inner fear of a child. Like, he's afraid of needles. Yeah, w- which is adorable. But in addition, I think it's also the fact that as a child you always feel like no one takes you seriously. Well, guess what? No one takes Ernest seriously either. Yes. And I think that yes. forms a bond that makes a connection that we're like, that's why we can relate to Ernest. Hey, you know, nobody takes me seriously either. And you're an adult. I get you, man. Yeah. And, and how much, uh, and how much Ernest, uh, you know, does it talk down to children during that time when he's hanging out with children is uh, very crucial. Like, he doesn't talk yeah. down to them. He treats them like adults. He's not like, oh, you kids. Like, he feels a sense of protectionism of them and, like, responsibility over them. But that's just, like, how he probably feels about all of his friends, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, of course, this is going to happen a lot. But, you know, fall down, go boom, uh, getting hit in the face. <laughs> so, that's something I want to touch on with a recurring segment for me as well. So, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, mm-hmm. Ernest is sort of, uh, in many ways, uh, a... Uh, uh, another worldly being a metahuman a metahuman yeah. he's this unkillable god and no one seems to be concerned whenever he gets hurt and it's not just because like he's like you know a sad clown or something well it's like slapsticky yes in a way. yes but he is specifically gains powers in this movie where a character uh the, the you know the dean warmer comes in and starts shooting at him and Ernest cannot be hurt. Well, the path of the brave, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he, like, literally just, like, thinks about, a mon- like, some mantra that a Native American gave to him. And he's like, oh, I'm bulletproof now. Or I'm like, I don't think, I don't think that was ever a thing. Well, that's going to be a trope in Ernest movies are supernatural elements and, like, extraordinary feats of strength or, like, Ernest should be dead but is not dead. Ernest being becoming a, a ringleader of these child soldiers is kind of appropriate. Like he almost becomes like a cult like leader, and this camp is like his like he's like the big boss, and this is outer heaven, or like this is his 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 uh, cult, and he's like uh, you know a cult leader who's like I'm gonna pull off a few few things to like trick you into thinking that I'm a god, but Ernest actually is unkillable. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's kind of crazy. And I guess, I mean, that's set up in the beginning of the film and is kind of part of the whole Native American thing running through it, is that, like, you know, for a warrior to prove himself and become a man and a warrior, there is a ceremony where, like, first they throw, like, a machete at you, and then they throw uh, an axe at you, and then they try to shoot you with an arrow, and if all three miss you, that means that, like, you're a warrior now. That means that, like, your heart is pure, uh, you believed in the, the powerful one or whatever, and, like, you know, you, you were fierce and courageous and shit like that uh and so i guess like Ernest had those qualities so it kind of worked but yeah it's a weird supernatural element where like no someone is shooting him with a rifle point blank point blank and he is not getting hurt and it's 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 kind of dark and weird uh yes it is kind of dark and weird and because john vernon like stares at him like 
what kind of demon are you? Yeah, we, yeah we are you get talking about like runs away. We are talking about Ernest almost being like this empty vessel that like all of a sudden gets taken over by some, maybe Ernest is just like there's a demon within him. <laughs> <laughs> Ernest gets like imbued with a spirit, like it's like like no, uh, your your path continues from here. Like you you can't die here because my will will not release you. You haven't served your purpose yet, Whirl. <laughs> Um, yes, that's a great point, because I want to keep touching on this as the show goes, that Ernest is a uh, godlike being that, uh, you know, traipses into people's lives, uh, usually for the better, but sometimes for the worse at first. You know, when Ernest makes a little whoopsie and signs away the <laughs> ancient Indian lands to a mining company. Makes a little whoopsie. <laughs> it's, it's so funny, because, like, he gets duped immediately. Like... The, f- the second this guy starts talking to him, he's like, yeah, y- you want to be my friend, right? I'll do whatever well, you want. That's what it is, because he's like, hey, you can help me. You know how to to speak to the chief. And he's like, well, yeah, you know, I, I study for many years. I'm bilingual, comprende. You know, I'm, a, I'm kind of a cool guy. How can I help you? Please like me. <laughs> and er- that's Ernest's one weakness is vanity. Um, mm-hmm. That is, you know, if he were a god, that would be the only, that would be his Achilles heel uh is vanity uh um, so so did you have some other gig because that's kind of most of like the tropes that i ha- that i had uh, one that starts and ends this movie is Ernest addressing the camera like he's in the commercials uh well i think it. it's just starting right because at the end he's more talking to the chief and nurse saint cloud down below i think right i think it's when just... he gets back in the ladder he addresses the audience again as a framing device oh okay because i know they definitely did it in the beginning which is weird because i don't think they do that a whole lot in the rest of the movies it's sort of a rod serling thing weirdly enough like where he's like oh i can see like i can break the fourth wall none of these people can though um, yeah this but, is a story about a time I went to camp. <laughs> uh, my other, my other uh, question and recurring segment I want to have is, uh, who does Ernest defend this week? Uh, the answer mm-hmm. is Native Americans. Uh, and the other answer is uh, Asian people. Uh, Ernest uh, briefly does a, uh, mm. a offensive Asian voice when he's like, uh, doing like a, you know, an, an uh, honor stereotype. And he's sort of like bouncing around as this like, uh, he's sort of bouncing around, exiting a scene with this like offensive Asian stereotype. So, I, from my count, Ernest himself offends Native Americans and offends um, uh, Asian people. Briefly. I, I have I have one to add to that for for this week. Um, Ernest also offends Coca Cola. <laughs> um, because not only uh, does his buffoonery uh, cause a an entire Coke machine to fall on top of him. But his antics and signing the camp away leads to the destruction of a perfectly good Coca-Cola machine, and I have a feeling Coke wasn't too happy about that. Is this a thing where Coke just what was like any publicity is good publicity, or was this related to one of his previous commercials? I, I he did do Coke commercials. I actually remember uh, there was one that they shot um, that was kind of after the whole new Coke blender. And basically the whole thing was like, okay, you guys have a PR nightmare on your hands with new Coke. So the commercial was like, uh, was Ernest standing in front of like a, I guess a storage space or something that was kind of cracked open. You could see just cases and cases of new Coke in there. And then he's talking to her and he's like, you know, uh, uh, Coke had a, had a real problem with uh, this new Coke thing because they, they tried to make it taste more like Pepsi. But of course, nobody actually likes Pepsi. So they're going back to Coke Classic and, you know, Coke's where it's at, Vern. 
And Coke was like, you can't fucking say that. <laughs> but they're like, but it's true. Everybody knows it. Yeah, I like that's sort of like, um, it, it's it's weird to have Ernest be like a truth teller considering he's so known as as a bullshitter, but he's so earnest as Ernest. Like I just said, like that's, that's, that's an aspect of his character that he's just like kind of a straight shooter, even though he's a bullshitter. So he's mm-hmm. like, he's never going to lie to you to hurt you. Well, maybe that's why he worked so well as a commercial, like, character, as a thing. Because he did. He seemed like a straight shooter. He seemed like he was genuinely, like, interested in you, interested in wanting you to like him, and interested in trying to expand some knowledge on you. So, like, yeah, he was a huckster. He was hucking products that you left and right. But at the same time, it's like, he just wants to be my friend. Like, he's a, he's a good guy. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and he's always has a sweetness to it that, like, even when Vern is, like, kind of mean to him and Vern wishes to murder this character, Ernest, uh, mm-hmm. our sweet boy Ernest, uh, that it, it all works out in the end because Ernest is like, he's just going to keep rolling along because he's, un- he's an unkillable god. I have a little, uh, not even so much a segment, but just, like, a little a little ticker, something we can mention in each episode, I guess, um, is was there any sort of a reference or anything to Vern? Which, I, there is one tiny one in this film, and it's the only one I caught, but when they're sitting around the campfire and Ernest is telling the old, like, you know, hookhand man story, he, he says the name Vernon, and he was like, and Vernon got back into his car, and then behind him was the <laughs> hookman. And I was like, that counts as a Vern reference. It does? Is, does? is this movie like a vacation? Is every movie like a vacation for Vern? That, like, this is time that Ernest is spending away from harassing Vern? Uh, mostly, I think, because off the top of my head, I think the only time Vern actually makes an appearance, like he does in the commercials, where he's just the POV of the camera, is in Ernest Saves Christmas, the second one. I think that's the only one where he's actually in it, but I think there might be, like, references within the movies. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to see as we go along. All right, yeah. Um, and then my next one is, uh, does Ernest fuck in this movie? Um, Ernest does not fuck. Ernest, Ernest does not fuck. I, I, it doesn't even seem to be on his mind. He just seems to like... He just thinks the nurse is a pretty lady. Well, yeah, and, and Moore sees her as a friend. Like, okay. likes her grandfather, loves the camp, she's a part of the camp. It's almost like he would have, like, she's a childhood friend or something that he's grown up with. But he, he seems respectful towards her, and he does just make one reference to, like, her being a beautiful woman. But Moore just kind of talking out of his ass, just like, ah, oh, this is what it's all about. A good food, a beautiful woman, and fire ants. Yeah. <laughs> just... He wants to impress her, but he's just... And woefully inadequate at it. Yeah, but there are definitely other movies where he has a definitive love interest. And she's not a love interest here. She is more just like the female lead, who is actually like, as far as Ernest movies goes, probably one of the best female characters in any of the Ernest movies. She's competent. She's the one that says, like, please do not violently overthrow a mining company. Um, yeah, it's like, what she... are you do? These are children. You're crazy. Like, I'm going to go talk to a lawyer. Like, they tricked you. We can do this legally. Don't be fucking stupid. I love that she's, I love that she's just like, this like, a person of color, she's a woman, and she is like the most And she's a doctor. And she's a doctor. She is the most competent person in this whole movie, which like, is still a standard, even though this is an earnest movie, and earnest movies are known for being a little insensitive, this is a standard that like, not even movies today, like, can hold themselves to. Like, she's not sexualized. She's not, like, and that changes as the movies go on because he does get more of, like, 
actual love interests more or less uh in some form or another but here yeah she is more just kind of like the female character the female lead because it is like an all boys camp so she's kind of the only female around but yeah no she actually like has a character things work and yeah she's not sexualized so Ernest doesn't fuck in this movie he's not like a sexual being which is good because it gets a little bit creepier as it goes along but I think in general the female characters are kind of like straight men so to speak in Ernest movies because usually you have like Chuck and Bobby and you have Ernest and you have all these other wacky supernatural side characters and stuff like that I think the only usually competent and like straight man type of person in the movies is usually the female lead they're the most normal and down-to-earth people in the movies as far as I can really remember you do need someone to play the straight man for Ernest and mm. Ernest Ernest not being silly and goofy would be a, a real shitty movie so I feel like they might have stumbled into give, uh, having competent female leads because you think even like the the Indian chief guy like her grandfather he's kind of kooky like when he joins them for their whole like raid on the mining company he's just like being silly and like laughing hysterically as he's he like throwing tennis gun. balls yeah and like he's like shooting tennis balls at people and he's just like having a ball and then like yeah it even like the uh the the leader the camp counselor leader I guess or the guy that runs the camp more or less uh he's just a big doofus as well like he walks around every time Ernest falls down he's like at least nobody got hurt like (laughs) just oblivious to what's going on around him for sure yeah that's the that's the end of my list I have one and it's uh psychologically diagnosed Ernest we've already started on that uh Mm -hmm. he's maybe an idiot savant uh maybe uh you know in some a bit of a narcissist yeah maybe he just has arrested development uh and uh yeah he's he's compensating for that could with, be yeah. could be demon possession we're not ruling that out i would never rule that out <laughs> and in this day and age in this, in this economy age, come oh, on in this economy i would never rule that out so uh yeah that's that's uh that's my list of, of tropes and recurring segments that i think we should touch back on in future episodes because i, I, I like those i think we i think we uh we we kind of nailed Ernest goes to camp i mean there's yeah let, let's kind of wrap this up how do you think uh this holds up today as an adult in 2017 like as a movie as a children's film of course but as a comedy movie uh, what, what do you think as like a film it looks pretty good because it was clearly like shot on film it's like uh it's got a sort of uh moving energy going forward like they had it, some money never... put in it yeah it never it never lets you get bored um it's it's edited well it moves uh it's like 90 minutes um it's just like this podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) um the the sort of thing about the this movie that i find most fascinating is that like it reminds me of a lot of camp movies and yet in my mind it's standing out purely because it has earnest in it and not just because we're recording this podcast but because Ernest that is, does give it an extra flavor. That was because Ernest is even a though great it is a camp movie. Yeah, even though it is a camp movie, it doesn't really feel it like a camp movie. It feels like an Ernest movie because I think that's a character that's so strong you can plug him in anywhere. And even like the next movie we're going to do, Ernest Saves Christmas, like that doesn't feel like a Christmas movie. That feels like an Ernest movie. <laughs> exactly, and it, it's a very it's a very sweet movie in that sense. And and. Even when Ernest has to sort of, you know, buck up and become a man and all that, it it, uh, it doesn't ruin it for me, um, and I, I like that. I like that aspect of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a 
I'm firmly positive on this. I think it was a great way to kick off the series, uh, not just because it was the first movie, but because it uh, it's. It's a great it's movie. Good. It's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. It would suck if the first one was a whiff, right? Yeah, no. The awkward I, thing. Ooh, I swear, man. Yeah, this is, I still think, my favorite Ernest movie. So we, we definitely came out strong. But yeah, I adored it. I, I just, it was a joy to watch this movie again. Yes. So. Uh, and I guess, yeah, we're going to talk about the TV episode. One more thing I just have to mention, and we don't have to go into it. I just want to bring it out there. Uh, to anyone listening, to anyone out there, one of my favorite things about Ernest Goes to Camp is that it has one of the greatest songs and one of the best doing stuff montages ever. And that's the montage set to uh, the Gary Chapman recorded Brave Hearts, which is just, it, it is a barn burner. It is a hell of a song and a hell of a montage. And uh, this is for all you Brave Hearts out there. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, camp. We talked to Ernest Goes to Camp, and what's one of the main things you think about when you think about camp? You think about food, don't you, Vern? Hey, Vern, it's food. It's hey, Vern, episode. it's food. Hey, Vern, it's food. Hey, Vern. Hey, Vern. Hey, Vern, it's a podcast. Hey, <laughs> Vern, it's food. Hey, <laughs> Vern, it's food. Oh, um, we'll get better, guys. We're so oh, sorry. I cannot make that promise. Uh, but yeah, so uh, what is this fucking show? Because it is it's, a very it's his, strange it's thing. His, it's his Pee-wee's Playhouse. It's his Bill Nye the Science Guy, almost. like. But like with no information. Or, but, but, well, not... <laughs> then it's more Beekman's World. But it's <laughs> but it, it, it's kind of like that. It's a weird mishmash of that to where it's... And it's not really like a, a straight show or something like Pee-wee's where there's like cartoon segments and blah, 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 it seems like. It's more like a sketch show just aimed at children. So it's a kind of like all that almost a little bit too. But it's very it like themed around... Quality. Yeah, it, it's themed around one specific thing per episode. This one happens to be episode nine on food. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's so general on the theme of food. And you can never tell when a, a bit is starting, whether or not it's riffing on a previous bit or if it's uh, it, a whole new thing. Like, it's, like, almost an exhausting 20 minutes. It feels like Wonder Shows any, like, the shows that Wonder Shows oh, was riffing on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's, like, it's just, like, smash, new bit, smash, new bit. This one's a song. Uh, this one's going to be set up like a sitcom. This one is almost going to be, like, a cartoon. Like, and it, it's, a. Uh, but yeah, it's, weird sketches. It's like only about my, half Jim my Barney. father, the clown, and stuff. Yeah, there's so many other people uh, that are in this, and again, a lot of them people like the uh, the lady doing the cooking show. Of course, you have uh, Chuck and Bobby in there, uh, which they they do have a, a little bit of business where they are trying to make baked Alaska and stuff, which is kind of funny. Uh, I think my favorite gag involving them was the fact that they're wearing like chef's hat and aprons, and his hat sh- says Chuck, and the other guy's hat says and Bobby. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. I thought that was uh, a solid joke. I didn't catch that. So yeah, and, and like a lot of sketch comedies and a lot of... Is there like a term for the genre like smash smash sketch? Where they... It's like a Monty Python's Flying Circus thing where they're just like... Boom, 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 boom. Like, is there a, yeah. is there a term for it? Is smash sketch something you're comfortable with? 
I'm sure. Yeah, because it's like it 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 uh, smash cut sketch show. Yeah, because the types of comedy keep switching. It returns to Jim Varney, but not on a a cadence that you. But every time it does, it's a new bit, pretty much. Yes, so it feels like he's just another one of the clowns in the group. He's not the host so much. Well, it it seems centered around him, but it's just kind of like he does a bit or a sketch, and then it's kind of like almost as if like you were watching Saturday Night Live or something and just like, okay, well, we're going to show you this other sketch over here real quick while he changes clothes and gets to a new set. Yeah. Like, kind of thing. And also, we should note this movie, uh, we should note this show is uh, pretty much all on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a very easy to watch. Uh, I, th- I don't know if there, there's probably a DVD out there somewhere. Uh, maybe Did you know that they made an Ernest doll at some point in time that was very much like the Pee Wee Herman doll and I want one so fucking bad? Is it look like his? Uh, there's one bit where Ernest is playing with one very very unfunny bit where Ernest oh, is playing yeah, with a mannequin. Good. It doesn't look like. It, was it look like that? No, it it looks very similar to like the Pee Wee Herman dolls they made, but it's just an Ernest one, and it was made directly from this TV show, I think, because it says Haver and it's Ernest. So I think ah. once he had his kid show, very much like Pee Wee Herman, he got his own doll as well. That checks out. The math checks out there. Uh, so there's like a singing cabbage that tells you to eat your vegetables. Oh my god, there is so much nightmare fuel in this show. That so creepy. freaked me out. So here's the thing. That's the only thing in it that feels like it's a children's television thing where they're like, you need at least one thing that's teaching kids a good lesson. And then, um, which the theme song of the show promises that you might just learn something. The only thing that is... You might just learn one thing per episode, maybe. Yeah, and one of them is like, you should eat vegetables, eat them before they rot. And (laughs) the idea of a vegetable encouraging you to eat it with this strange, dark, purple face, this like cabbage, red cabbage face. With eyes and, yeah. With eyes and a disembodied mouth. (laughs) It's a a shiver, man. It's a shiver. Um, and, and that's the only thing but approaching that, educational in the whole thing. And I can't imagine a kid watching well, that and no. leaning the lesson that they should eat vegetables. Because after there's, that, they'd be like, oh, I'm not eating vegetables. They're there's terrifying. another thing. There's another thing that's kind of educational uh, a little bit. And it's also the other gross and creepy thing in the show, which is the sketch where it's his tongue in his mouth. Because they kind of go over like, oh, I'm the tongue. I taste things and send signals to your brain telling you to eat more of this or telling you that I don't like this kind of thing. So that's bordering on educational. But then you have like this dude in a tongue costume like flopping around and then like, oh, he's eating ice cream. And then there's just like splashes of just gross stuff on him. And then like, oh, no, I get the one guy that loves lima beans. And there just keeps being this like pea soup grossness being splashed on his face and it's it's disturbing that's more you can't do this on television kind of thing like where it's so absurd and uncomfortable that you're like is this avant-garde television because i'm just uncomfortable like (laughs) like but then there's some really good absurdist humor in this like one of my favorite bits is when ernest decides to make a garden and it it sets it up perfectly he has a bunch of little pots and he's doing it inside his house and he's like i got some of my favorite stuff i got eggplant i got bell peppers i got uh this and that like he does make a a stupid joke like even got a french fried potato plant and corn dogs and stuff but then it cuts to later on and he's outside and his eggplant is literally just like a plant that has actual eggs growing out of, out of it. And I thought that was brilliant. And then he had bell peppers, and it was a tree that had both peppers and 
actual golden bells hanging off of it. It's pretty good because uh, and he did also, have a corn dog plant as well. He did have a corn dog plant. Does that is Ernest also an inventor? Kind of. Uh, th- I think they did, t- especially when they turned him into a children's character and made movies and the show and stuff. They took, they basically just did Pee Wee Herman because this show is very kind of Pee Wee Herman esque, and even especially the opening and kind of the color scheme and stuff seems very much like Pee Wee's. But then even in not so much here, but in the later movies, he kind of has like Pee Wee Herman type houses to where he's like kind of an inventor and he has like all these weird things all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, it feels very Pee Wee, and it feels like uh. Ernest was positioned as this sort of like alternative to Pee Wee. Um, and yet uh, does not have, the show does not have the fan base that the, the Pee Wee show does at all. Um, I can't I know the world the is not, a, the world's not fair. I wasn't a Pee Wee kid either, but. Uh, oh, I was. Yeah. It, it kind of speaks to, um, on one hand, it must speak to the quality, but I can't really. Uh, on the other hand, it also speaks to like the idea that like, Pee Wee Herman became a true cultural sensation mm-hmm. that, like, cultified children. I still know, like, a lot, a lot, a lot of men who were, like, like grown men and grown women who adore Pee Wee Herman and still watch the old show, still watch the old DVDs, and I just don't, I don't entirely... I don't entirely get it. Oh, I do. I do. I love Pee Wee. And that's the thing is that they kind of had somewhat similar uh, kind of career paths a little bit. But, like, I think Pee Wee works because, A, it didn't start out specifically as a children's character. It's more a guy playing a child, pretty much, or playing a childlike person. And it was. It started, like, at the Groundlings and stuff. And it did have more adult humor, like that original HBO special. But then they just had a movie. And it wasn't a kid's movie, really. It was, like, a Tim Burton-y Pee Wee movie. So I think that hooked people in, but then he did the children's TV show and eventually did like Big Top Pee Wee, uh, and actually just last year, uh, Pee Wee's Holiday, Pee Wee's Big Holiday or something, which was fucking amazing. I loved that. Um, but no, like uh, the TV show definitely worked on me. I was the right age. I used to watch it every morning before school and stuff like that. Like, yeah, no, totally works. But yeah, this was more like he was an ad guy, then he did a movie and then he did a season of a kid's show, and then he just did a bunch of movies. Like, he was just making movies every year instead of doing a kid's show for, like, seven years. And uh, it, it sort of shows, like, the the level of... This does not feel like the movies. It doesn't really feel like the cartoons. Or, sorry, this doesn't really feel like what I've seen of the ads. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 so I'm not entirely sure where to place it. So as this show goes on, I'll, I'll, I think I'll understand more of what the, the, sh- the spiel is behind uh, yeah, and honestly, we're not going to have too much to say about any of these shows, I don't think. Uh, but, but I don't know. We have to did, cover up. Yeah, and I, I, there are a few bits of comedy I do want to bring up in here that I thought were really good. Um, and you can, of course, uh, we can go back and forth or if you have any. But just kind of right off the bat, when he's like going through recipes, because the, the plot of the show is like they're having some kind of like community bake off or something like that. And he's looking for a recipe so that he can win the prize, which is like a lifetime supply of. Uh, like little Debbie cakes, but what do they call them in this? Oh, uh, gooey boy muffin cakes. I feel like this is what was it? Gooey boy muffin cakes. Gooey boy muffin cakes. I feel like the show just like blurred past my brain. Yeah. uh, Well, just in the opening, he's like going through recipes trying to pick one, and there's something that just felt made me feel good inside that I just kept laughing at just the way he says nah. Like he would just go through go through recipes just nah. (laughs) <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> like there's something just so so good about his timing with that. Um 
And I don't. Did you have any that you wanted to bring up? Uh, let's think. So the cabbage thing creeped me the fuck out. Um, I do think that the the bit where uh the the chefs come in and are doing the like baked Alaska thing uh mm-hmm. was funny. It did also remind me that there's a famous neo Nazi on Twitter named uh, Baked Alaska. Um, oh, I didn't. Know that. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know that that was a recipe. I just oh, you thought it, I just thought it was like a weird. I just thought it was like a weird fucking like the just, you know, the, the weird the weird language that neo Nazis come up with, and they're like, "This is a really great reference, like Kekistan, man." And I just thought it was like one of those things. Didn't know uh, didn't know that baked Alaska was a thing. So I guess yeah, I did learn something thing. from this. You did. It, and what it is is you go to As Alaska an adult too. <laughs> yeah, what it is is you go to Alaska, and you get a fork full of uh, you know soil and hay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you go put it in your oven. That's baked Alaska, and it turns into mush. It turns into mush. Um, I I will say uh, this is also at least not the first time, but the first time on this podcast, and it'll happen a little bit that uh, the character of Doctor Otto shows up, which I didn't realize he was in the TV show. Uh, I don't even know if you know who Doctor Otto is. I don't. Uh, he is I, the, the face the that I'm making is mostly just like yeah, yes. Yes. Well, he he is the creepy character that has the third hand growing out of the top of his head. Oh, it reminded me of like Rita Repulsa, like that that specific sort of like I'm videotape grossness. But that is Doctor Otto of Doctor Otto and the Riddle of the Gloombeam fame, which we will eventually get to. That's technically the first Ernest movie. That is very strange that he uh, he went leaning on his um, strange foot forward. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's a very uncomfortable character. Like I just was watching the hand the whole time. Oh yeah. That's what, that's what's going to happen. But he's like making a recipe as well. And it kind of, it's a, it's a joke that slips in under the radar, but as like it's fading out to whatever it's going to next, he was just like, Oh, this uh, is pretty good. But then as it's fading out, he's like, mm, needs more plastic. <laughs> <laughs> like, that just, that, that got me. Yeah. Uh, I didn't learn how to cook anything from this episode, so it's going to be a one out of five for me. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't, nothing really attached to my brain from this. This is something that like, I'm going to have to like take specific notes. Cause it's just like, it felt like children's television as imagined by like a, the most pretentious, uh, yuppie where they're like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like we're just feeding our kill our children. Just like, yeah. just like, nonsense it's just like well, sugary cereal it, man it's it's more like the weird owl show than it is like like a peewee's playhouse or something because peewee's playhouse did try to do like learning things somewhat at least with like the secret word and and stuff and it's of course like bill nye and stuff are more uh you know educational programs but it's more on the side of like weird owl where it tries to be like that but it's also just kind of weird and absurd humor yeah i did think the bit with the fish sandwich thing was super funny mm-hmm. uh because uh of how quickly it is how quickly done it is like mm-hmm. where she just like puts a piece of bread in the bowl and then she throws a massive fish on top of it and then like a perfect submarine sandwich comes out of it. i love that so much we're a little short on time so i'm just going to show you how this ends yeah really exactly really um good. and i was kind of surprised because i actually have not seen this tv show before like i was just into the movies and the commercials and stuff i never watched this show because um, i guess it came out when i was like a year old and we didn't have dvd then and i never saw a vhs of it um but no it's the first time watching the show and i assumed it would be more like just a sketch thing where each sketch was jim varney playing a different character because he does a lot of different characters 
So I kind of thought that's what it'd be. And we see a little bit of that because Dr. Otto shows up. Uh, the old woman that he plays shows up briefly. But I was surprised that there were so many, like, other segments like I, I wasn't surprised Chuck and Bobby were in it but then there was like my father the clown and then there was like another guy that had a lizard for a pet that was like cooking and stuff making lasagna which my, my least favorite part of this show was he made that joke which isn't a good joke but then he proceeded to explain it you get it like lizard lasagna <laughs> And I was like, I hated that guy immediately. I was like, get the fuck off the show. <laughs> I love Which the I didn't know if we were trying to make this kid friendly or not, but... Yeah, I, I love the idea of him just coming in and, like, condescending even to children. Like, a joke yeah. that even a five-year-old should be able to get, and he's like, hey, listen, dumbass, this is the that's, joke right here. That's the thing. Uh, and I think that's why Ernest works, because he never does that. It never seems like he's talking down to you. Uh, if anything, he's maybe, like, even a little below your level or something. But that guy came on this show, told a bad joke, and then because he didn't get a laugh, felt he had to explain it. No, sir. Not in yeah. my house. Not in my not, house. Not in this Ernest Temple. And he didn't have, like, a spiel. Like, even that weird Dr. Horrible Rita Repulsa, whatever the name D- is. Dr. Otto. Dr. Otto. I'm going to say that a few times. Dr. Otto. Dr. Otto. Okay. I'm going to have to learn these names if we're going to be doing this series, Marcus. I have to take this oh, yeah. seriously. This because, is... because you're going to be seeing these characters pop up, and they all have names. Oh, thank God. Just want to wrap wrap them all up in my arms. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of the episode, isn't it? Like, Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Like, I don't really have anything else to say about the TV show. I don't know how we, we wrap this up. <laughs> we never uh, got that far. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have to have some sort of wrap-up segment. Um... This is definitely uh, pretty much longer than Ernest Goes to Camp already. (laughs) (laughs) This is longer than Ernest Goes to Camp plus the the TV episode. The TV episode is like 20 minutes and a few seconds. Well, yeah, no, Um, we're basically watching like two hours worth of material uh, every time, and we're going to give you a three-hour podcast, guys. Yes, but it's all analysis, okay? Like, the movie is just so dense. Yeah, we're going to go through every scene, say what we thought was funny, laugh about it, and then move to the next scene. (laughs) (laughs) Um, which, you know, on some episodes might mean that we have a, a 30 minute episode. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess it's the scene that Ernest goes to a UN embassy in South Africa. Well, that's not going to be racist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Marcus. Uh, I think this was. Thank you, Peter. This was something that we both kind of like stumbled on and then we joked about doing. And I'm really glad that we actually are recording now. Yeah, me too. And I guess, I mean, we haven't really, we're just recording this and this is not going to come out for a while, probably. I'm going to go ahead and call it though. Uh, I guess you can follow us at Twitter. We're uh, at Haven Pod. Hopefully that's not taken. <laughs> and this is something that is exciting. So we're going to release, my, my plan is, uh, I would like to release this as a pilot. So, uh, if you are interested in hearing more of this show, please tell us, because I'm going to release it on uh, the We Love to Watch Network site, as well as I'm going to get Marcus to put it on his site. Mm-hmm. I, I'm and, definitely going to cross-promote that, that sucker. Yes. So, uh, we're both going to be... Uh, we're both going to be... Uh, pushing this and it's going to well, be I guess it. that's it too like maybe we'll see if anyone likes it before we start a twitter account for it or yes yes maybe a good idea so we're going to record this if we get enough interest we'll do another episode and uh the we love to watch network is sort of launching this fall winter and mm-hmm. we're and by then we're hoping to be on a uh a cadence where 
you might get one of these episodes a month or once every six weeks. We're still mm-hmm. figuring out how many other shows are going to launch yeah. with the network. But again, that- this is going to this is going to be a finite show. We we've set a we set it in place we're doing 13 episodes unless something major happens and like a Son of Ernest movie comes out or something. I think that's probably what we're going to say. Son of Ernest. They do do Son of the Mask and Son of Ace Ventura. So, and you know. Son of Pink Panther. Oh. That's that's Well, there was good. like a guy on YouTube, I believe, that like that was his thing. He wanted to be Son of Ernest. So I think he like made shorts or something like that and acted as Son of Ernest. And I I remember it being really bad. That's all I know. Yeah, I, even I, if it's I, good. I think I saw it years and years ago. Even if it's good, it's bad. Yeah. And even if it's great, it's also like uh children age like milk. Like that could get creepy <laughs> so fast once the kid goes through puberty or completes oh, puberty no, I, or whatever. Well, I, I, he wasn't a kid. He was like a dude in his early 20s or something, I think. Oh, that's zero interest right there. Oh, yeah. yeah, Hardcore zero interest. Um, Um, But but yeah, uh, thank you to anyone that that listened to this pilot. And feel free to write to us and tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. If you have any, like, bits or things you'd like us to try on the show. Uh, Should we have a guest sometime? Or are you okay with just listening to our beautiful voices the whole time? Yes. Tell, uh, tell, do you have any, any tips for how to do an earnest impression? Please tell <laughs> us if you have that. Uh, yeah, if you have any uh, any feedback for us, we'd love to hear it because we're putting this pilot out there to uh, sort of see how interested people are in this concept. And even if you don't give a shit about earnest, whether or not you think it works. So um, I don't imagine there's anybody out there that doesn't care about earnest. Yeah. Or, I don't know the, the, you know, the or the two guys such as us would do a podcast about it. <laughs> See, even if you don't like Ernest, you at least probably like us. So listen yeah. to it for that uh, for that alone. If, yes. if you've ever liked us, listen to the show. Yes. Okay. So uh, let's uh, let's put a bow on this. Thank you very much, everybody. And uh, and you know. I guess we'll see you here next time on Hey Vern, it's, it's a podcast. What's something Ernest says? Uh, so, know what I mean? <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah, see you next time. Know what I mean?